This is Live at Politics and Prose, a program from Slate and Politics and Prose Bookstore in Washington, D.C., featuring some of today's best writers and top thinkers. Oyakon Braithwaite has been editing and writing for many years and was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize and is a top 10 spoken word artist in the Echo Poetry Slam. In a BBC Africa book club interview I read about her first novel, Oyakon said, all I knew going into it was that I was going to be writing something about a woman killing men. <laughs> and while my sister, the serial killer, is indeed that, it is so much more. It, as, it doesn't as much bend genres as kind of smash them with its complete disinterest in what a genre is supposed to be. Um, it's in being classified as one thing. It succeeds as a thriller, a psychological mystery, a rumination on familial duty, and love and on sexual dynamics, and above all, a sister, a story of sisters. In conversation with Oyakam will be one of DC's great literary citizens, Taylor Burney. Taylor's intellectual activism has taken many forms in our community, as a producer, a book critic, a moderator, an event curator, and now as the writer and editor of the literary newsletter, Get Lit DC. You can sign up on her website or just ask her tonight. I'm sure she'd be thrilled to sign you up. It's an amazing way to keep abreast of all of the great things that are going on in our community. Please help me welcome Taylor Burney and Oya Comp Braithwaite to Politics and Prose. Thank you, Liz. Um, and before we get started, I do, no, sorry. Um, we're just going to smash microphones up here for a second. Um, before we get started, I want to say thank you to Liz and all of the tireless work that she and her team do. You're here tonight because of them. Um, they curate an amazing slate of events at Politics and Prose locations throughout the city all year long. It is hard to make it look easy, and they do. Um, and they also really foster community in and around the district, which I know I value and you all value. Um, and that's why I choose to spend my book dollars at my local indies and encourage you all to do the same. Um, but without further ado, Ayinka Braithwaite, welcome to DC. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you so much for being here. And as Liz mentioned, uh, the lead we don't want to bury is that you have been longlisted for the Man Booker Prize, uh, which is no small thing. Congratulations. And that follows a lot of other, you know, praise and accolades for this book. How do you feel? Um, it's pretty incredible, as you can imagine. Um, but it's it also feels very surreal, like, um, especially the Booker News. I felt like it was happening to someone else. Like, I was, you know, on one side of the world, and there was another wing call that it was happening to. So. Um, and you're actually one of three Nigerian writers longlisted this year. Um, and I know you've been asked about this before, and I would love to hear your thoughts on what it means to be tasked as writing about, quote unquote, the Nigerian experience. Um, because I think that's something, as I think as a reader and critic and writer, about the pressure we put on authors to be representative of like vast swaths of experience. I wonder what that means to you on like a day-to-day -day practical level as a writer, and what this kind of recognition means, um, and whether it's at odd with what publishers and readers sometimes expect? Um, when it comes to, so when I'm asked questions about Africa, about Nigeria in general, I, um, I usually stress my ignorance. Um, first of all, Africa is massive, and I've probably only been to, I think maybe I've been to three countries um, in Africa, so I'm not an expert, and I'll be the first, first person to say this, um, even when it comes to African literature, um, I haven't read enough, to, to be honest. Like, I think in the past two, three years, I've increased um, my reading of African literature, but um, I grew up on um, mostly British literature and maybe a little bit of American um, literature, but not so much even Nigerian. So I'm not in a place to, and I, and I, and I say that all the time, I'm not in a place to, um, very repetitive about it. Um, also because I think it isn't even just about my nationality. I think also being a writer, people imagine you're smart. Like it just goes hand in hand. And, you know, again, I have to stress it. Like I'm not, you know, um, I don't really feel like I have higher intellect than anybody, um, for example, in this room. Um, I just happened to have sat down and, you know, 
put some of the things that are going through my mind um, in the um, in the in the book. And even though it is a very Nigerian story, in many ways it's not. Um, somebody um, asked me recently in an interview how I had managed to keep the make the book so Western, and I thought it was it was a weird question because I wasn't trying to make it Western. Um, I think. Um, in this, in the world, the way it is, you know, it's a very global world. Our influences aren't um, just this one thing. Um, I watch a lot of Japanese anime. You know, I watch a lot of American movies. I read a lot of British literature. You know, I've, I've been exposed quite a bit to my Nigerian culture. So I'm, you know, when I produce something, it's never going to be just Nigerian. You know, it's going to be um, a compilation of of different things and different experiences. So. Um, so yeah, I just I just kind of make that clear. Like I'm willing to 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 talk about what I know of Nigeria and of of the things that happen, um, but you know I've got a very limited experience as far as that goes. No, I think um, to your point, we often are like, oh, you wrote about this societal ill in your book. How do we fix it? Right? <laughs> um, we we ask a lot of our novelists, and and I don't always think it's realistic. And I think to your point too, like you can read a. a thriller set in the District of Columbia and have like a totally different experience than reading like a book by Camille Acker, right? Like any, any place is, is re represented in all these different ways. Um, yeah. I'm um, actually speaking to the fixing. Someone asked me recently, um, how I would, you know, what did I think parents could do to avoid favoring one child over the other? <laughs> And I thought, you know, I had to be like, hang on a second. I've never had children, so I'm not entirely sure I'm in a position to answer that. You know, I can tell you what I think, but I wouldn't, you know. That's uh, that's a lot to ask. Um, Liz hinted at this, and I, and I think the other thing that really stands out about this novel is every everything I've read about the Man Booker long list that singles this book out talks about genre and remarks on how rare it is for a thriller to be nominated for a prestigious literary prize. And I wonder if genre is something that you even think about in your work or the the ways in which you think about it. Um, when I write, because I do write fantasy, when I write fantasy, I know I'm writing fantasy. Anything outside of that, I kind of feel like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't really, um, to be honest, when I was writing My Sister the Serial Killer, I mean, nobody has said it to me, so it was just in my mind. But when I was writing it, I thought it was... Um, I felt like it had, in my mind, it had a bit of like magical realism. There was something about it that wasn't quite real, um, you know, and I embraced that, but nobody has said it to me. So, you know, but um, but I didn't think of it as a crime and I didn't really think of it as a, as a thriller either. I mean, now when I look, when I'm forced to pick a genre, I usually say it's um, noir. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that works. Um, and to take a step back, for anyone who has not read the book yet, um, can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, as much as it is about a serial killer, it is also ultimately about two sisters. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the two sisters at the heart of this novel? Like about who they are? Yeah, just give us like the thumbnail sketch. For anyone who hasn't read them, I think the two of them are really the, the center okay. of the story, right? Yeah, so the, um, so Corriday is the oldest sister and she's a nurse. Um, which is, you know, she's familiar with, you know, she's probably seen a lot of blood in the course of her uh, career. Um, she's also, she's also got a bit of OCD. She's really meticulous, very efficient, doesn't have a lot of friends or really any, um, you know, doesn't consider herself to be attractive um, and is sort of the person who's holding her home together. Ayala, on the other hand, is very beautiful, capricious. Um, she's free-spirited. Everybody loves her, um, but she also happens to be a serial killer. <laughs> she does. Um, and, you know, small detail. Um, and, and some of her victims write her poetry. Could you read this passage for us from early in the novel on, on page seven there? Femi wrote her a poem. She can remember the poem, but she cannot remember his last name. I dare you to find a flaw in her beauty or to bring forth a woman who can stand beside her without wilting. And he gave it to her, written on a piece of paper, folded twice, reminiscent of our secondary school days, when kids would pass love notes to one another in the back row of classrooms. She was moved by all this, but then Ayala is always moved by the worship of her merits. And so she agreed to be his woman. On their one-month anniversary, she stabbed him in the bathroom of his apartment. 
She didn't mean to, of course. He was angry, screaming at her, his onion-stained breath hot against her face. But why was she carrying the knife? The knife was for her protection. You never knew with men. They wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. She didn't mean to kill him. She wanted to warn him off, but he wasn't scared of her weapon. He was over six feet tall and she must have looked like a doll to him with her small frame, long eyelashes and rosy full lips. Her description, not mine. She killed him on the first strike, a jab straight to the heart. But then she stabbed him twice more to be sure. He sank to the floor. She could hear her own breathing and nothing else. Thank you for reading that. Um, and this novel grew out of a poem, as I understand it. Can you tell us a little bit about where the initial spark for this story came from and, and how you sort of followed it and eventually had it yeah. turn into this book? All right. So um, in 2007, I um, was reading up on the Black Widow Spider. Um, and I... Um, so I was, yeah, I was reading over the fight. So, and I discovered for the first time that um, the female spider is a little bit bigger than the male spider. And after they mate, if she's hungry and the male spider is still hanging around, she will eat him. Um, and I thought this was hilarious. Um, <laughs> and um, so I immediately wrote a poem called Black Widow Spider. Um, you know, so after that poem, I did another poem um, not too long after um, which was about the, the traditional idea of the Black Widow, um, this woman who, you know, marries men, poisons them, inherits their wealth. Um, you know, and it was about two friends. And, you know, the friend the, um, the friend is plain and she's the only one who knows that her friend is doing this thing. She's the one with the secret. And then as happens is in this novel, it's a, it's a man that um, that causes a problem between them. Um, so that was in 2007. Um, so I kind of, now and again, I would come to the idea of, um, the black widow as a, as a female. And, um, eventually, you know, when I was writing this novel, cause I, at the time when I was writing this novel, I was actually writing another, another novel that year and it was going to be the great novel. And, um, but it wasn't working out. It was refusing to be great. And, um, <laughs> So I, I thought, okay, do you know what, I'll leave this and I'm going to write something fun and um, something lighthearted. And because I was already familiar with this idea of, um, of the Black Widow, it was an, it was an easy um, story to decide to write. And, and speaking of something fun and lighthearted, right? Like I, I love crime fiction and thrillers and like murdery books, for lack of a better term. Um, but there is a really fine line to walk in making sure they're not just overwhelmingly dark. Um, and as you were reading that passage, everyone laughed, right? This book is really funny. And I, I wonder how intentional that was um, and and sort of what response that gets from readers as you've been talking to people about it. As far as response goes, I like it when people sort of tell me that they they laughed at the most inappropriate. They're like, I shouldn't have laughed, but I did. Um, and that's always fun to hear. But I didn't, it wasn't initially intentional, Um that it'd be funny. I think I knew it was quirky, maybe not so much funny, but I didn't, writing it, I knew it was going to be dark and I didn't want to be submerged in darkness for the um, amount of time it would take me to write it. Um, so I was very matter of fact about it and my characters are very matter of fact about it. And I think that it's this, it's subverting that expectation because we, we, we read something and we, we have an idea of how the characters should respond but then my characters go off and make pancakes or whatever. And you're like, in your mind, you're like, that's not quite right. Um, so I think that's why it ended up being funny. Yeah. And especially, you know, the narrative voice, right? Like there is, there is a sense of remove there. How intentional was it to have, you know, create a sort of like intentionally, or, or was it intentional, be like sort of very involved in what's happening, but also disconnected from it at the same time? Um, it was very intentional. Um, I, I wanted her to be a sort of observer as opposed to, and she's not an active participant in the fact that, in, in, in that she reacts to things that happen as opposed to, you know, um, being a catalyst. So I, um, I was very aware of that. I wanted her to look at her sister from, afar almost and you know um be a witness to things as opposed to being it being directly um her involvement in these things and I think at, at the time I was thinking quite a bit also of Wuthering Heights um because 
you know, it's been told by people who are not active. I mean, she's more active in the plot than they are, but it was it was that book and others like it that allowed me to know I could pull that off. Yeah, I mean, you're sort of left at the end wondering if she's complicit or guilty or both. And I'm not going to make you answer it because I know you don't. You, you I, I've seen other interviews with you where you're like, that's not mine to tell you, um, which is fair and what makes it such a good read in, in a lot of ways. Um, this book really is about these two sisters and the dynamic between them. What for you is at the heart of the sort of tension? Cause there is a lot of tension between the two of them. Like what, where did that come from for them? Um, I think it might be just sisterhood, you know, I mean, if, if you have a sister, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> I, I understand you have at least one sister, right? Yeah, I have two sisters. What, and a how do brother. they feel about the book? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You put out a sister. It was like my sister. Um, at right first, there. my so the one the girl after me, she's two years younger than I am. Um, so I'm the eldest, like Cordy. She's two years younger than I am, and she um, at first she blossomed under this sort of she was like yeah she you know she used me as inspiration and then after a while you know she wasn't having it anymore because she realized that people were people who knew us were assuming she was the sister like she was a serial killer sister and then she wasn't she didn't think it was funny anymore <laughs> she's like you know I feel like I'm the most reasonable of the three of us girls like I you know which I think she's probably right she's the least likely to commit that sort of crime so that's that's good yeah. uh, that's great um well let's actually talk a second for about the mother in this book right because you actually just mentioned weathering heights and um more than anything the mom reminds me of mrs bennett right because she's just trying to get her daughter suitably matched like that's her number one goal um and she also feels kind of detached from the reality that is unfolding around her um and, and I wonder how you think of her as shaping that dynamic and relationship between the sisters, right? Because as you said, people are asking you, like, how do we avoid uh, this scenario in our own family? Like, what role did their mom have and like, how did that shape each of them? Um, as far as the marriage thing goes, I think um, for me, that was very, she was an easy character to write because Nigerians are obsessed with marrying you off. And, um, you know, Basically, if you're a woman of a certain age and you're not married, like everybody in your environment is worried, you know, they're really concerned. So she definitely was that for me. Um, but I think also, you know, what's interesting about her also is that she doesn't have, Corrida is the child that looks like her and she actually doesn't have much faith in Corrida's ability to to get a man, you know, but Ayala, who's this beautiful child that she has she's almost put all her eggs in that basket like okay this one's gonna marry and she's gonna marry well and Corrida having to deal with that and having to see that you know it's quite harrowing you know and she's I think just generally throughout their life that they're always compared with one another and um Corrida realizes early that actually her sister is very attractive and and quite different from her um their mother is a, a widow at, as the story is unfolding and it's clear that their father was abusive and cruel, though the full extent to that is never fully revealed. Um, should we, do we, is it, do you think of these women as victims in that sense? Um, yeah, I think they definitely experienced a trauma um, and they're all responding to that trauma in different ways. Um, but it's hard to call them, victims yeah. per se because of what they right. what, what they're getting up to um but yeah definitely you know he played a a huge part in in their in their psyche and not just i mean i think he traumatized them you know he was violent towards them but as far as Ayola goes i think there's also just this idea of that she has of men in general and um and this sort of um I don't know what the word is now, it, it evades me, but, you know, she looks down on men quite a bit. And I think also because from a very young age, not even from her father, but from other people, she was getting um, a very sexualized. She was attracting that sort of attention. Yeah. Speaking of the men in this book, can you read another short passage for us? It's the 
Who was he? Femi. I scribbled the name down. We are in my bedroom. Ayala is sitting cross-legged on my sofa, her head resting on the back of the cushion. While she took a bath, I set the dress she had been wearing on fire. Now she wears a rose-colored t-shirt and smells of baby powder. And his surname? She frowns, pressing her lips together, and then she shakes her head as though trying to shake the name back into the forefront of her brain. It doesn't come. She shrugs. I should have taken his wallet. I close the notebook. It is small, smaller than the palm of my hand. I watched a TEDx video once where the man said that carrying around a notebook and penning one happy moment each day had changed his life. That is why I bought the notebook. On the first page I wrote, I saw a white owl through my bedroom window. The notebook has been mostly empty since. It's not my fault, you know. But I don't know. I don't know what she's referring to. Does she mean the inability to recall his surname or his death? Tell me what happened. Thank you. Um, so the men in this book, right? To what degree do they matter as individuals? Because, you know, they are, they are not as solid as any of the women in the book. Um, and obviously, in, in many cases, they are the victims. And it, it's sort of like this interesting dynamic for them. Or like an interesting power balance. Um, I think they matter. <laughs> um, Even if... Ayula doesn't think so. Right? Yeah, I think, I don't know how to answer that question. It's it's funny because I get a lot of, a lot of people point out to me how, you know, um, what the men were like, like, oh, the men were very shallow and the men were very this and the men were very that. But um, my answer is always, so were the women. The women were in the in this book were also very shallow and you know also really poorly behaved. Um, Corride actually as a character, she's drawn to the physical more than she realizes. You know, even when she's describing the corpse, she talks about his his muscles and you know and the way that he looks. And um, as someone who's been the victim of people treating her negatively based on the way that she looks, she still does the same to other people. Um, so it's. It's just a mess, <laughs> for lack of I don't know. It's um, but I th I think in some respect, yes, the men are they're victims, but they're throwaway as well because these women just don't care enough about them and the fact that they've done this to them. They yeah. yeah. Um, I was interested when you mentioned earlier that that someone said something to you about the setting and that it kind of could have been anywhere, right? Um, because. I've, I've seen other interviews you've done where you talk about the setting and how it influenced the way you structured the story and like um, even the choice of it being a, a knife that she uses, right? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about whether you consider Lagos to be like a character in the book or if it's it's just that the setting is really integral to the plot in some ways? Um, I think it's... choices you made. Yeah, I think it's integral to the plot. Um, setting it in Nigeria made it very easy for me because I didn't have to worry too much about crime scene investigation stuff. If you want to, um, if you want to commit a murder, Nigeria is a good place to do it. <laughs> I, you know, so I mean, having that sort of. Um, so they get away with stuff that maybe ordinarily somewhere else they wouldn't be able to get away with, and it also allowed me to look at to look at that and look at Nigeria, you know, in that way, like see what these women are doing, but you guys are so concerned with marrying them off. Um, you're not, you know, you're not quite seeing them for who, you know, her, you're not seeing Ayala for who she is. Um, and, you know, also that it's an environment that's susceptible to um, corruption, susceptible to bribery. You know, I have heard of crimes where, it's just not, like I remember once someone told me, a friend of mine told me, about someone who had died it had been a um he had been they had been driving and it was a armed robbery or something like that and um he you know and he he was killed and so he was he went on to talk about how the people were coping family and friends and stuff so towards the end I thought hang on a minute like did they catch them you know, and he was almost like, huh, <laughs> what are we even talking about? So I think, you know, um, it was definitely a good way for me to look at that. And um, I, I almost initially I was a bit hesitant about doing it in Nigeria because I haven't seen a story like this in mm -hmm. Nigeria before. And I wasn't sure if it would work out, but I'm, I'm really glad that I did it there. Yeah. Um, the novel has a tremendous like sense of momentum 
Um, and I wonder how you balanced your characters in the plot and sort of the, that, like the, the sort of page turn. We were talking just before we came out about how each chapter is really short. Like each chapter is kind of a scene unto itself. Um, so how did, how intentional was that structure and, and how quickly did this go from like, again, a poem you'd written some years before to being a published novel? Cause I understand it was pretty quick. Wait, which one? Sorry. <laughs> I just asked okay. you like three questions. Okay, so the chapters and then how long? Yeah, so like just the how did you come to the pacing yes. of the book? Because it I found myself as I was reading it, I would intentionally put it down and walk away mm. because I didn't want to be done with it. Because I was enjoying like I was enjoying it so much that I was like, ah, don't read it too fast, because then it's gonna be over and you're gonna be mad. Mm. Um so, you know, I I just found it to be like really propulsive in that way. And and I wonder, you also write a lot of short form work. Um, I wonder if you found that one sort of informed the other. Um. Yeah, I'm starting to realize and come to terms with the fact that I write in a very feverish sort of, I'm not a, because I'm afraid, I'm always afraid that I'm not going to finish. So I try to out outwrite myself. You know, I try to get it out before, the panic sets in and the self-doubt sets in and, you know, and all that. And I'm fairly fast, you know, I, I type quite quickly. Um, so I, I, I try to go fast. Um, with this particular um, novel, I think I, um, each chapter, I wrote them on a separate Microsoft Word um, document. So I didn't look, I, I rarely even looked back at the story. Every chapter was its own and the headers you know I would title the chapter and then I would write and, f- and what was funny about it was after when we were editing I actually said to the you know the editors I was like right let's take out the chapter headings like um, you know because I didn't do them for them to to you know um and they were like no 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 no, no it's fine you can you know that wasn't actually my intention they were for me as the writer you know um I didn't really think that they made sense enough to like, you know, stay um, on till the very end. But um, so, yeah, it was intentional in that I I wrote it like that, but I didn't think that it would stay. At least the headings would stay like that after after the fact. Um, So when I um, as far as the how long it took, um, it went pretty it went pretty quickly. Um, I because I think. My agent signed me on in September and in October I had the first publishing deal. Um, so that was the, the October right after. Um, and um, by November, the following year, it was out. That's fast. Um, you know, you're just talking about like having to work so hard, right? Like that idea of, of a writer sitting down and like trying to, you know, get it out fast before the doubt mm. sets in, right? That's very relatable one. Um, and, you know, I wonder as you embark on this paperback tour, how have you reconciled the work of being a writer with the public duties of being an author? And, and you know, you're, you're going to a bunch of cities, you're pinging and ponging and you're sitting in front of crowds every night and, and presenting your ideas and we're asking impossible questions of you. Um, how are you, how are those two things reconciling for you? Um, when I was, you know, when I was young, I think I knew I wanted to be an author by the time I was 10 and then we didn't have social media. So, and you know, there were some writers that I loved who I, I couldn't tell you what they looked like um, back then for the, you know, um, I remember hoping to meet Ine Blyton and then seeing a show where they said they were giving an award to her granddaughter. And I'm like, why is her granddaughter so old? Like, I didn't realize she wasn't even, you know, alive anymore. Um, so I think, you know, having had that dream in a time when there was no social media and being an author now, it's definitely, because writing is such a solitary process. I spend a lot of time in my room. Um, I'm not particularly social. So it's a lot, because like, I'm surprised, A, people care what I think, B, that they, you know, they, they want to know stuff about me. Um, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, why does, does any of it even matter? You know, the book is its own beast. Let it do its thing. Um 
But at the same time, the support, the overwhelming support, like I could not, um, you know, I, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Just having people, you know, encourage me and tell me, you know, we hope you, you know, you continue writing. We wish you the best in your career. Um, people saying they've sent the book to their sister and they've done, you know, they've just that connection again wasn't something I anticipated but I'm I'm really grateful for so it definitely has um like knowing people want to know who I am is scary it really is but um at the same time it's it's nice it's a nice way to connect with people well and speaking of social media the cover to this book launched like a million bookstagrams <laughs> um and you do <laughs> work it did like that is literally how I first heard about it I was like what is this book that everyone is bookstagramming right now um and you know I understand you you've worked in graphic design you're an illustrator how in, did you have any involvement in the cover because it's a great cover and I know there are different versions of the cover right how involved were you? I was not involved, at least not with, I was with the Nigerian cover, but not with the, um, uh, I mean, I get asked what I think. And it's funny because this particular cover, I did not like it at first. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because as a reader, I'm not drawn to books that have people on the cover because I like to imagine what the character looks like. It just messes with me in like a negative way. So I was just like, I'm not, you know, why is it, like why is there a face on it like I couldn't um but they were like no it's wonderful it's great and eventually I had to be like okay fine you know what like you guys know what you're doing and I'm and I'm glad I didn't like kick up a fuss about it um because even the title actually was also not my idea that was my agent and I also didn't like it at first um you know but again like I'm really glad that I I trusted her what would you, what would you have picked as its title? I'm embarrassed to say no. <laughs> You're in, we're all friendly. It's a very friendly crowd. You're among. Okay, so the working title was um, "Thicker Than Water," so which is sounds really boring now compared to like, this one, but um, but yeah, I thought I was being very coy and, and intelligent with that. I mean, I still would have read it. <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask one more question, then we'll invite you guys up to the microphones. There's one here and there. As Liz, as Liz said earlier, please make sure your questions are actually questions. That would be great. Um, but I, I will ask what, uh, because I know someone will ask it if I don't, what are you working on now? I understand you have some short fiction you're publishing um, up. Yeah, so I've got two short stories that are coming out this year. I think one in September, one in October. So I'm excited about those. Um... I'm trying to, I jump from story to story a lot, so I'm trying to write a novel, but we're going to have to see how that goes. And as mentioned, you're traveling a lot. (laughs) There's like every impediment in your way. Um, People want to make their way up. I will keep asking questions because I have lots more. Um, I guess the other big question that I would have as we wrap this portion is, is what is the thing you hope people take away from reading this book? Like, is there one thing that you're like, that's what I want you to walk away with? Um, so there were some themes, you know, especially one theme in particular when I was writing this book, but I actually don't care. Like I, I want people to no, Okay. That sounds really bad, but I don't mean it like that. I want people to enjoy it. Like I think first and foremost, escape with it, like have fun with it. Like it's not, I wasn't trying to preach at anybody. Um, so if they do gain something from it um because it's also not a book that answers any anything to be honest you know I explore things as opposed to necessarily giving you know the answer um so you know it's up it's up to the reader how much they want to receive you're not solving sibling dynamics (laughs) no you're just taking us for a really fun ride and I will say fun is an underrated characteristic in fiction more broadly and in really good literary fiction you know, I, I think it's terribly underrated, which is why I'm so excited that you're nominated for a man booker because like having a fun book nominated for a major literary prize is like the most exciting thing to happen so far this year. Thank you. Um, yeah. She was, yes. Okay. I really enjoyed reading your book. Thank I read you. it like three weeks ago and I just happened to go on to politics and prose website and notice that you were going to be here today. So I just had to bring my own copy and get it signed. But um, I'm curious to know, um, there's the the character who's in the coma. And I don't want to give anything away. But what, um, 
kind of how did you decide? I mean, I understand the purpose of that character initially, but kind of what what um, prompted you to continue that? Per- Basically, he wakes up. So, like, kind of, <laughs> yeah. did you? I mean, did he was he always planning to wake up? Like, can you give us a, give a little bit of um, rationale behind that? If I'm completely honest, I don't remember if he was always meant to wake up. I think because writing, I mean, it's a good question because when I started, I don't plot everything out, so I like to have surprises as well, and. Um, that may have been one of them, but it's so long ago now, I'm not sure. But I do know that who he was outside of him waking up, I didn't know starting out. Like he, as you know, as I was like, okay, he's, you know, he's this sort of gentleman and he, he has, you know, this sort of family dynamic and, you know, who he was going to be when he woke up. I did, I know for a fact, I didn't have that all figured out. Interesting. <laughs> it, was, it was great. A great another line of story there. Yeah. So thank you. Hi, um, Hi. I actually just started reading your book and I love it so far. <laughs> um, I did have a question and actually she brought up another question I wanted to ask. So I actually have two questions if that's okay. Um, so as I'm reading it, they say no ma. Okay. Is that like no ma'am? What does, uh, is that like a slang term? That yeah, it's, it's, sim- it's similar to ma'am. It's okay. just, yeah, yeah, similar to that. That's what I thought. Okay. And then also, when you were writing the sisters, you said that you kind of based the one sister a little bit on your own sister. Would you say that Cordy? I'm gonna. I, I just butchered <laughs> her name. I'm just, would be mo- more based off of you or somebody else that you know. Um, so I didn't really base it. I think the the sister dynamic. I did draw some inspiration from my own sisters, but I didn't really base the characters on at least not consciously on um, on either of us because, and if anything, they're a mishmash. Like I am the oldest sister, but I'm way messier than like my, the, the girl who comes after me. She's far more responsible than I am, but she's the one she went for. Um, she did something in Nigeria called most beautiful girl in Nigeria. So she's, um, so she's the one who's, um, who's seen to be, you know, more upset. So like, I think it's, if anything, it's a mix of, as opposed to oh that that character's like her and that character's like you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hey. So I usually don't ask questions, but I'm going to ask a question. Oh. Here. I really enjoyed just to start. I really enjoyed the book. Thank I you. read it yesterday, <laughs> literally because my coworker told me that they were reading it for their book club, and I looked up and I saw that you were here, and I was like, well, I'm going to read it and come. So if this were made into a movie. Have yeah. you talked about this already? I just no, but it's there is a potential for it to be made uh-huh. into a movie. So please go on. Yes. <laughs> um, what yeah, what is the potential for it to be made into a movie, and who would you see cast as these characters? Um, um, I know it's. I'm thinking in terms of American. So, but I mean, obviously Nigerian or whomever, and why? Um, okay, so um, working title optioned it in uh, beginning of 2018. Um, as far as who would act in it, I haven't really, I don't dwell on it because I realized that that's not my, like, I don't want to start like getting my, you know, hopes yes. up like, oh, it has to be this person. And then they choose someone completely different. And I'm like, no, you know, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Sorry. Or go the ahead. type of actor. Maybe you don't have to put any names out there. Yeah. <laughs> Just okay. Do you know what? If, if it's type of actor, I think definitely for Ayala and Corey Day, I think it would be nice not to choose someone we've seen too much of you know I I think it would be nice to have first to give a platform to more um, black um, actors but also to see someone coming to their own because I I feel like when a character is too familiar you're watching the actor as opposed to the character and Ayala has a really big personality so it would be nice to see someone just yeah (laughs) would you do a walk on if they ask you Yes. Great. <laughs> I will be looking for you. Hi. So I'm Nigerian. I'm Yoruba as well. Okay. And when I started the book, I didn't like it. Okay. And then 
I put it down and the next night I couldn't put it down. <laughs> and so, but I did what you did. I didn't want to finish it because it was such a small book. And she said, because she made me read it. And she said, I, it's such a quick read. But then I realized, yes, it is. And I don't want to finish it that quickly. So I kind of put it down every night. Yeah. And last night I was like, it has to be finished tonight. But you, even though it's very simple and you say you had no real message, but I see that the men there, because it's very hard. I, I'm not sure I read a book where the man is not the hero or the protagonist or like the one who somehow things sort of fall in his favor. So do you think perhaps you intentionally sort of set it up that way where you have the men in that role that's not, that they're not accustomed to being? Because most times it's the woman who I think always kind of falls in that sort of situation where she's not, you know, yeah, um, it's it's interesting because I'm asked a lot about intention, and it's really embarrassing to <laughs> to have to admit how little intention went into your work. Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to you know what you say about the men not being the hero, the truth is, in my work, they rarely are. You know, it's not a new thing for me as a, as a writer, you know, I just, um, I'm mostly, I mean, I'm not saying they never are, but like, I'm mostly drawn to women and to seeing women in interesting scenarios. That's just my thing, you know, so I don't have to think too hard about it. Um, it comes very naturally to me in that way. Thank you. Hello, hi. hi. Um, thank you so much for for, for, for the for the for the book. Um, um, my f f f family is also um is is also West African. Okay. So I like totally like get like the pressures that that like we put on the um on the the eldest child. Um, so my question for you is um is why. Why does it does it does it didn't you like um, go into detail about the father's death? Okay, um, I'm gonna embarrass myself again, but um, okay. So I think it's partly you know for me it's it was it's partly about memory and about what you choose to remember. Um, so you know they're flashbacks. So a lot of it is just what she's picked and what she's held on to and what she can even face in terms of what happened. Um, part of me, part of it is also I think I didn't want it to be a hundred percent clear how he died, um, even though I have my own theory as to how it took place. Um, but, you know, I you know I know a lot of people are like, right, that was their first kill. Or some people yeah. are like, okay, Corriday, that was Corriday's, you know, kill and Ayolala from Corriday. I get a lot of different, like, um, theories about what went down and I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, um, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the Man Booker Prize. Thank you. I'm Nigerian, so um, I don't know how many other Nigerians are in the room, but what I'm about to say might relate to you. Never in my lifetime did I think that I would read a book about a female serial killer and that would have um, has one of the chapter titles, Eforiro. <laughs> so that's um, groundbreaking on many levels. Um, my question for you is, how has the book been received in Nigeria? We come from a very conservative society. Um, you've talked a lot about your sister and your family and how there's some similarities in the setting. Have your parents sat you down and asked you, do you have something you want to tell us? <laughs> have you had those sorts of conversations? Um, actually, when I was um, in primary school, I was schooling in England at the time and I wrote a story. It was one of the first stories I remember writing and it was about a young woman who walks into a forest clearing <laughs> and kills herself. It was a short story and it was told from the, um, the people telling the story were the trees and the, the leaves, um, the, the grass, the wind. So, you know, I thought I was a genius. And um, <laughs> so they, you know, so they witnessed this young woman, just young, beautiful woman walk into the clearing. You know, she was white. She had long flowing hair and she kills herself. And my parents read it. And so they called me downstairs and they basically what you said, like, is there anything we need to know? Um, is there anything going on with you? Are you being bullied in school? You know, they did the, the responsible thing and checked that I was mentally stable. Um, <laughs> 
and they realized that actually I was fine because I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on? What's going on here? Um, so they've, over the course of the years, what they usually used to tell people is that they don't write, they don't read what I write. So um, before my, um, when the book came out, um, after a while, I remember going to my dad and I said to him, because he writes, you know, he writes like children's fiction. And I said to him, you're going to be really embarrassed when people are talking about the book and you don't know what they're talking about. So he sat down and he read it. Um, it took my mom a little bit longer to read it, but they're, it's not as horrific as they imagined. So, <laughs> so they've been okay with it for the most part. But as for Nigerians reception as a whole, um, it's been positive until the man Booker Prize, until the Booker Prize. Like it's, um, so I think the Booker Prize opened it up in a way that it hadn't been previously. And also there was recent interview um, I did on BBC Africa that just that came out like a few days after the Booker Prize, even though I had done it before the announcement. So that, you know, BBC Africa and the Booker Prize together, all of a sudden, like people were kind of like rebuking it, like, oh, how, you know, how dare, like, this is rubbish. This is how dare she, this is, you know, really kind of like, you know, um, this, um, you know, be careful, guard your ears, your eyes, your heart, like very kind of, I'm like, it's not that serious. <laughs> it's not, it's not that deep. <laughs> yeah. But, but again, I know that also it's because they've not read it. Like they're imagining something that it's, it's not. Um, and you know, I, I, I was prepared for that. So it didn't throw me off too much. Thank you. That wasn't my question, but I'm glad she brought that up. I recommended this book to a neighbor, to a Nigerian neighbor. Okay. Her husband came down to talk to me, asking me why I recommended this title to her. Now, he's about nine years older than she is, and they're all much younger than I am. But anyway, I, I explained it. I said it was a hoot, hilarious. I went into it, and he seemed placated enough. <laughs> but I'm glad she brought that up. But, and these neighbors love me, I mean, you know. <laughs> but anyway, my, my question had to do with the ending. I was upset. Now, of course, I was upset because you foiled my expectations. But my question specifically is, when they came to the door asking for a Cordera, I don't, how do you pronounce the name? Cordera? Corridae. Corridae? Yeah. My first thought was, it's law enforcement. <laughs> but then my second thought, which were told by my friends, I've, I've recommended this book. More than 20 women have read it because I recommended it, oh, including my book club, you know, which is <laughs> our book club. But anyway, could it have been Muta? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Because somebody said they thought maybe that was him at the door. So can you shed any light on who was at the door yeah. asking for her? Okay, so I... Again, I get I get a lot of was it Mutar, but the whole um, for me the idea was it was just a new victim. So and, and but asking, but they they no, were he asking. didn't ask for credit. What happened was the house girl goes up and right. says there's a guest, you know, and it's oh, it's, okay. a, it's it was for Ayola, not for Corey. Okay, well then I got because I was like, who's coming for her? <laughs> yeah. That was intriguing. Thank you. You're welcome. Loved it. Hello. Hi. Uh, so I really enjoyed the book. Thank you. And what I'm about to say next is not a critic, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> so the sisters annoyed the heck out of me. <laughs> and, and I loved it because I don't have, um, I wasn't raised with sisters. I have half sisters, but I wasn't raised with them. So for me, I was just hitting my head and I'm like, why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? Why the older sister? And so I wanted to know if anyone asked before, do you think that the younger sister committed all those murders because she had a responsible sister to clean up after her? Um, yeah, I definitely think, I think just generally with family, you know, we each play a role in order to keep the homestead, you know, and sometimes I remember, I remember the other um, day my sister was getting really worked up and she was annoyed and it turned out she was annoyed because I hadn't done something. And I thought, but, you know, 
um because because she, she had volunteered to do it like she was you know she was organizing it and she was doing like i said she's more i'm the flighty one to some extent in the house so she was you know sorting things out and then she was getting frustrated because she wasn't getting any help but i thought nobody asked you to do that though and i'm not gonna like stress myself like nobody asked you to do it and i think but you know there's this sense that like my mom does it as well where you feel like if you don't do it it's not going to get done but you're resentful at the same time because you have to do it but because you're doing it nobody else feels like it has to be done because somebody's doing it and it's a weird kind of like you know yeah um so i think that you know as far as that goes it's true if Corridae stepped back, Ayala would be forced to reconcile with what she's doing because she would get caught most likely, you know, but the fact that Corridae is working so hard to protect her means that Ayala knows she will continue to get away with it. And it's that sort of, but because, um, and also not even just with the murders, with their characters, because Corridae is so responsible, Ayala is childlike, and because Ayala is childlike, Corridae is responsible, and it's, you know, so they feed off of each yeah, other. Yeah, basic. Okay. Okay, thank you, you say it so much better than <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, you've mentioned several times how little intention there, there was in this book. So yeah. now with a lot of time and distance um, uh, between the time that you first thought about it and its publication, how different would it be if you were to write it now? You know, I am so grateful that I wrote it in the way that I did um, because I feel like I'm never going to be in that same space again. You know, I there wasn't anybody looking at me and, um, you know, I had a certain freedom to do things that I, you know, like the first chapter is two sentences and ordinarily I wouldn't have thought I could pull that off. Like it, I, I did it in part because I never thought that I would send this book to an agent, you know, so the things that we've been taught to expect from novels, I didn't have to be weighed down by that. Um, I don't think that I'll be able to replicate that level of freedom again. So I reckon that if I wrote it now, it would be a very different beast, but it might not necessarily be the better for it. Hi. Hi. Uh, I just want to thank you for writing this book. Oh, thank I do have you. a question, though. Um, but this was this book was amazing. I read it a few months ago, um, and I recommended it to my book club as like our side book, um, like to pass around. Like, and I recommended it to every bride of a wedding that I've been to <laughs> their honeymoon because I think it is the perfect book to have in their suitcase with their new husband. All right, to see what they're reading. So I was wondering if you had any book recommendations that you've been sharing, either a book recently that you've read mm -hmm. um, or just your favorite book to recommend to people. Um, I mean, I think sometimes when I think about this book and I'm recommending a book, I usually go for Eleanor Oliphant's is completely fine. I love that one. Yeah. yeah that was really good. Just because, like, I think the character is nuts and she's hilarious and, mm -hmm. you know, she's great. But I don't know. It's hard because, like, my, my book doesn't, sit in like a tidy place so it's hard for me to figure out um I mean and also I read quite so the stuff I read like one minute I'm reading fantasy the next minute I'm reading crime um so I'm not really sure what else to I mean I guess if one is interested in more like Nigerian literature I'd probably say um um, um, the Secret Lives of Baba Segi's Wives, which is quite okay. funny. Yeah, it's really funny. Okay. Um, so definitely that. Um, Stay with Me is 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 good as well by um, Ayobami Adebayo. There's definitely a lot of stuff um, that's coming out that's good. Thank you. You're welcome. That is a great note to end on because everyone's going to go buy a bunch of books. Um, and everyone gets gold stars for asking actual questions. You guys are awesome. And thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Live at Politics and Prose is a co-production of The Bookstore and Slate.com. For information about upcoming Politics and Prose events, visit politics-prose.com. And please let us know what you think of